morning, church family. Great to see you all in church this morning. Before we get into God's Word, I just want to um, ask you guys to remember on Tuesday. So this coming Tuesday is a milestone for someone in our church. I'm just looking out to see if Dave is here. Dave Schantz, is he here? Uh, there he is, Dave and Oris. Dave is, is celebrating his 90th birthday on Tuesday. What day? Oh, April 14th. Oh. Well, I'll give you a little bit of lead time leading up to it. I received bad information this morning. I thought it was this Tuesday. But anyway, on April the 14th, listen, I want to tell you about Dave Schantz for a moment before we get into God's Word and talk about Jesus, which is exponentially more important. But Dave and Oris, um, they were here before I came to St. George's. I've been here for 18 years, and so to Dave and Oris, I'm still the new pastor. Um, and I've always admired Dave because he's been strong and robust. Um, I remember he would water ski at his cottage every summer uh, right up to his 80th birthday. I know I'm embarrassing you, Dave, but I think it's a good model and example for us to remember you don't stop because you get old. You get old because you stop, Right? So God bless you, Dave. We thank God for you. And we're going to thank God for you for the next month leading up to your birthday. <laughs> Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that in your word, our Lord Jesus Christ instructs us how we ought not to pray. God, would you guard us against praying in a way that's putting on a show? God, would you prevent us from trying to strong arm you and manipulate you using so many words. Lord, I pray that this morning as we dive into your word, that your spirit would lead us into all truth, convict us of sin, and affirm us in our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Now, your Bible should just naturally flop open to that point by this point. We've been reading the same passage for the last couple of weeks in our sermon series. As you're turning to Matthew chapter 6, you know, this passage of Scripture, this part of the Lord's instruction to his disciples on how to pray, is very much like all the rest of the Bible in this one regard. When you read other books, you read them. When you read other books, you are reading the book and you're evaluating the story and you are measuring the characters and you are bringing your judgment to bear on the story as you read other books. However, the Bible is the only book that when you read it, it reads you. When you come to instructions like these where Jesus says, do not pray like the hypocrites, do not pray like the Gentiles, but instead pray like this, these passages lay your heart bare and examine what's going on in your own life and in your own motives. In fact, today's instruction around prayer is one that pierces right to the very soul. Verse 14. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Don't you wish Jesus had just stopped there? Verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father 
forgive your trespasses. And so as we come under God's word this morning, God's word is piercing to our soul. The instructions of Jesus around forgiveness cause us to pause and ask this question. Whom have you not forgiven? Do you carry resentment in your heart towards someone that you refuse to let go? Is there anyone that you are harboring unforgiveness towards? You just refuse to let it go. Look, it could be something very small, but you refuse to let it go. It could be something massive and monumental, the offense, and you just can't get over it. Maybe it's something from the recent past. It just happened over the last couple of days or weeks or months. Or maybe it's something from a long time ago. But the instruction from Jesus today around prayer causes us to ask this question. Is there anyone that you have not forgiven? You know, our passage this morning also tells us that the stakes of unforgiveness are not just something cheap or trite. They're actually eternally high. Jesus said, if you forgive others, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, your heavenly Father is not going to forgive you either. This is such a serious matter that Jesus takes this same principle and he weaves it a couple of verses earlier, back in verse 12, he weaves this same principle right into the model that he sets out for his disciples for prayer. Look at verse 12. Right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts because we're not going to forgive our debt. Is that what it says? What does it say? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then Jesus takes this same principle and he pulls it out he elaborates it and he elucidates it in verses 14 and 15. And so what you have here is something that's critically important. Jesus doesn't do that with any of the other principles in the Lord's Prayer, only that one. Forgive others that you'd be forgiven by your Father in heaven. We're going to talk this morning about forgiveness and what it is and how you do it and where it comes from. But I want to start right at the onset of this sermon by acknowledging that forgiveness is a very hard thing. It is one of those imperatives from our Lord Jesus Christ that is extraordinarily difficult to do. And it actually serves as a reminder for us that God's instruction to us, even and especially when difficult, is always for human thriving and flourishing. Look, no one would debate whether or not it's difficult to forgive. We all acknowledge that. But would you also acknowledge what a wonderful world this would be if we simply forgave one another? Behold the beauty of God's commandments. Difficult, hard, counterintuitive, challenging, but the best for the world. Think about what your own family would be like. If this was a cardinal value and virtue for your family, where you said, look, around here, we keep short accounts, we forgive one another. It's the best for human thriving. Think even more deeply about how different your life would be 
if you actually forgave and were willing to let go of that burden of unforgiveness, that resentment and that beef that you just won't let go of. Our Lord Jesus' instructions to forgive one another is yet another example where God's imperatives, God's instructions in Scripture are best for human flourishing. As we said into this topic this morning, I want to remind you that if you're a Christian man or woman today, you do not forgive others primarily for the other person, for the offending party. In one sense, you forgive them for the good of your own soul. I read this, probably a silly meme someplace, I can't even remember where I read it, but it was pretty insightful. It said, to hold on to unforgiveness, hoping that it's going to hurt the other person, is like holding a burning coal in your hand, hoping that the other person will be seared. When you let it go, you think you're letting the other person off the hook. Actually, what you're doing is you're setting yourself free. And that's why Jesus says this without any qualification, without any caveat. Christian, man or woman, disciple of Jesus, forgive. Period. Now maybe this morning you're thinking about certain circumstances or situations where forgiveness is not appropriate. You're coming up with ideas already, I imagine, and thinking, what are some of the circumstances around which I should not forgive? Well, Jesus' instruction is clear. There are none. Christian man or woman, you forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. We're going to set that aside for a moment and pick it up again. But you think, okay, well, what if someone has offended me, right? Should I, still, should I still forgive them if they offend me, but they've never actually repented? They've never actually apologized? The answer is yes. You say, well, what if the infraction is, or the offense is something that is repeated? It just goes on and on and on. Should I continue to forgive them? The answer is yes. You say, well, what if the offense was something so great? It costs so much. It costs something that can never be returned or restored. Should I still forgive them? Yes. What about in cases of abuse? Should I still forgive them? The answer from Scripture is yes. The first thing I want us to see about this unconditional application of forgiveness from the Christian disciple is this. I think that because we are sinners, we're always looking for a loophole in our Lord Jesus Christ's instruction to us. It's the age-old original sin of questioning the goodness of God's word. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. That's what we do all the time. So Jesus says to us, forgive one another. And we instantly start trying to find loopholes and exceptions to the rule. 
we readily and easily jump into reasons why this case is an outlier. Friends, when we live as disciples of Jesus, we bow our knee to him as Lord. Our default setting is changed. And our default setting now is to forgive, not to look for ways to hold on to resentment. The second thing I want to pull out of this, perhaps we struggle with this unconditional forgiveness for everyone because we fail to make a distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation. Okay? Forgiveness is the duty of every Christian man or woman in every situation. It's not conditional. You don't forgive upon the acknowledgement from the other party. You don't forgive when they have been deemed to be truly sorry. You just forgive. Period. But forgiveness does not always mean a return to the same unimpeded relationship. That's reconciliation. And reconciliation is a second step after forgiveness. That requires hard work from both parties. If you are going to, well, let me start here. If someone offends you, you forgive them, period, no qualifiers, nothing else. And then you try as far as you're able to engage them in the process of reconciliation. Sometimes it won't be possible. Because reconciliation requires that both parties acknowledge what happened. Reconciliation requires that both parties do sort of a post-mortem and say, this is what happened. This is what went wrong. This is what was lost. Reconciliation requires that both parties also do the hard work necessary to make amends and to fix the relationship and the problem and the offense. So maybe sometimes we hold on to resentment and unforgiveness because we've failed to make the distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation. Always forgive and do your best to undertake reconciliation as far as you can. You know, the very best arena for this to be worked out in your life is in the context of your marriage. When your spouse deeply offends you and you feel like you have the moral high ground and you don't want to forgive them, Jesus Christ comes alongside you and says, Forgive others so your Heavenly Father will forgive you. If you don't forgive, guess what? And then once you forgive, then you have to sit down across from the other person and say, well, I'm not going anywhere. Well, I'm not going anywhere. Well, we better try to find a way to reconcile this thing. You see, that's one of God's graces to you if you are married, that he's granted you a marriage where you can actually experience forgiveness and the necessity of the hard work of reconciliation. We started out this part asking the question, is there anyone that you have not yet forgiven? Well, maybe you're still thinking about that, and you'd ask, well, how would I know if I've forgiven them? 
Okay, if, if there's a circumstance or an offense that comes to mind, and maybe it was a long time ago, maybe it was recently, but there was one like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I don't know if I've forgiven that person. Try this thought experiment. If you imagine that person coming into church right now and sitting down beside you, how do you viscerally react? Do you feel angst? Or could that person walk into church and sit down beside you and you actually not even wish them ill? Right? You're not, you're not hoping that they get run over by a school bus or something like that. Or maybe if you've truly forgiven them, you could push it even further and not only refrain from wishing ill upon them, if you've truly forgiven them, could you pray that God would bless them? Then you've truly forgiven them. Verse 12, Jesus says, pray this way. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus is saying that his disciples ought to live light and free. So many of us have carried around burdens of unforgiveness for far too long. Why do we do that? What are some of the barriers to forgiveness? Well, one of the barriers that prevents us from forgiving others is that we are worried about losing control in the relationship. So if you are going about living your life and someone offends you, you know, then they instantly have, there's a power differential where then they are beholden to you in some way because of the infraction or the offense that they've caused, okay? So if someone has offended you, the relationship dynamic is you have something over them. You put them in a hole because they've offended you. And sometimes you're afraid to forgive them because you're worried about losing control in that relationship. And the unforgiveness that you hold is your feeble attempt to try to maintain control over another person. They have to constantly try to dig themselves out of the hole. And you don't let them go because you want to maintain control. Or maybe you look at it and you say, well, I don't want to forgive them because I don't want them to get away with what they did. Well, that's not the way it works. First of all, in life, you don't get away with anything. And secondly, God is a just judge. Those are two barriers to forgiveness. I think the barrier that we see here in Scripture most clearly, perhaps you are holding on to this resentment because you have forgotten your own need for forgiveness. But the only way to really lord something over another person and deny them forgiveness is to come from a place where you've deluded yourself into believing that you're perfect. You never needed forgiveness. When Christian men or women remember that the only way that you stand is by the grace of another, when you remember that you've received grace from God in Jesus Christ, then you begin to live freely and lightly. Forgiveness begins to flow from you to others. Look, I've experienced this in my life, and perhaps you have too. 
one of the surest ways to feel fruitless in prayer is to go to the Lord in prayer while holding resentment for another person. When you do so, you just feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. That's why Jesus says, pray like this, forgive us as we forgive others. This is a prayer that reminds your own soul. It reminds your own soul not only that you need to forgive others, but it reminds you that you have been forgiven. And so it sets you free. Look, this need to hold other people in a hole so that you might maintain control over them is a burden too great to bear. When you remember how God has forgiven you in Jesus Christ and you extend that same grace and forgiveness to others, then you're going to live humbly. You are not going to be other people's Lord, lording their sins over them. Instead, you're going to remember that you have a Lord. And he could have rightly damned you to hell for your offense and for your sin. But your Lord doesn't lord your sins over you. Instead, he forgives you in Jesus Christ. He welcomes you into his family. He adopts you and gives you the family name. If you are harboring resentment this morning, perhaps one of the greatest reasons is because you have forgotten the grace of God to you in Jesus. Or maybe you never have known it. You're here this morning and you've never been born again. You've never been born of the Spirit. You've never received that in working of the Holy Spirit where God pours out his grace upon you so that you can see your sin in its ugliness. You can behold Jesus as your Savior and bow your knee to him as Lord. Maybe you've never experienced that. Well, today the invitation to you is to come. Come to your Lord. And he will grant you that forgiveness. You know, when you experience grace from God, it makes you gracious. Here's the point. If you feel like your prayers are being hampered, if you're holding on to resentment, Jesus says you've got to let it go. Well, what would that look like? I want, to, I want to do a quick survey of a couple of Bible passages. So turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 18. You know, one of the best ways to communicate truth is through stories. Jesus used parables. I could just tell you abstractly points, but sometimes it's best to hear the stories because then you interact with it better and you learn it better. You know, so it's all about Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 and 22. If it's true that we ought to forgive others as God has forgiven us, then how many times should we forgive? Verse 21. Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Seven seems like a lot, right? What did Jesus say? But I did not say seven times, but 77 times. 
That's a lot of forgiveness, isn't it? How does that work? You're saying, man, I'm holding on to unforgiveness in my heart, R.D., but it's because this person just keeps coming back to me and asking for forgiveness for the same thing over and over and over. How stupid are they? How stupid do they think I am? When can I finally just cut them off and not forgive them? Remember the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. That'll prevent you from, that'll keep you away from abuse. We're only talking about forgiveness right now. Your duty to forgive them. Seven times? Seventy-seven times, Jesus says. Well, I think this works in two directions in our life. Okay, the first one is, if you struggle with forgiving the same person over and over, again, maybe the problem is that you've forgotten how many times you've come to your Heavenly Father in need of forgiveness for the same sin over and over. You see, Christian man or woman, you are loved by a God whose very character is fathomless grace for sinners in Christ. And so Jesus is saying, you forgive your brother and sister again and again and again as a reminder that you have been forgiven by God again and again and again. Look, I see this in pastoral conversations all the time. Christians who are struggling because they see the sin in their lives, they hate it, they struggle against it, they know that they've been forgiven by God and yet they fall into that same sin. Christians who want better, they want the Holy Spirit to sanctify them, they look at their life and they feel like they are on one end of this equation, right? They're like, man, I just keep coming back to God asking for forgiveness, asking for forgiveness, asking for forgiveness. Well, let me encourage you with a couple of things. First of all, sometimes if you take too narrow a slice in looking at your life, your Christian life can feel like a failure and a disaster. But if you open up your perspective and take a wider scope, you will see that your growth in godliness is not linear, it's sort of bumpy along the way, but it trends toward looking more like Jesus and less like the world around you. That's the Holy Spirit's work in you. And so while it may be true that it feels from your perspective like you are going back to God, asking for forgiveness again and again and again, the process of sanctification is at work in you by God's grace. So don't despair. The fact of the matter is that you will never escape sin this side of glory. You will constantly be in need for forgiveness from God again and again and again. Even as you grow in grace and you eliminate certain sins from your life, as you grow more and more in godliness, you're going to become aware of deeper and deeper sin. That's why Martin Luther said you've got to repent of your repentance. There's another thing to consider. If you are engaged in your Christian life and you're saying, look, this is all about me not having to constantly go back to God and ask for forgiveness. I'm going to exercise my discipline and my will, and I'm going to stamp out all the sin in my life. First of all, good luck. But secondly, 
if you were able to do that, you wouldn't need a savior. You'd be your own savior. And that's not the Christian message. Look, I'm all about personal discipline. I think it's critically important. But if all you had was Jordan Peterson, you would die with a good-looking corpse and a tidy room. You need a savior. You need a savior. And so don't feel bad that you need to keep coming back to God for forgiveness. Jesus would never instruct his disciples to do something that isn't in the character and the nature of God. And so when Jesus tells Peter, not seven times, but 77 times, it's a figurative number that means a lot. It's not like, well, 78, now you're cut off. He's saying, when you do that, you are demonstrating the very character and the nature of God. Who's always more willing to welcome sinners back than they are willing to go to him. How many times? Well, there are too many people who struggle forgiving others for their repeated offense because they've forgotten how many times God has forgiven them. Right? So that's the first one. The second thing we'd say about this, um, it cuts in the opposite direction too. If first we sometimes struggle to forgive others because we've forgotten that God has forgiven us so many times, it goes in the opposite direction too where we sometimes struggle to go to God for forgiveness. I'm sure you've experienced this where you fall into the same sin And you think, well, there I go again. Surely my Heavenly Father is fed up with me and this same old chestnut. We're reminded from this account that we forgive others repeatedly because that will shape and conform our ideas, ourselves, and our souls so that we are not hesitant to go back to our Father when we're in need of repeated forgiveness. One more story. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 to 35. It's following what we just read. I won't take time to read you the story. Perhaps you know it. If you don't, read it this afternoon. Jesus is telling the story of a king who settled his accounts with his servants, right? It says, verse 24, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, you have to understand, that would be like me saying, you owe Justin Trudeau 20 bazillion dollars. That's a lot. It's like an unfathomable amount. Verse 25, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payments that he made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. And I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave his debt. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found all the dudes that owed him a pack of gum and a nickel. And he shook them down and he threw them in prison because they couldn't pay their debt. 
That's the story that Jesus tells. Verse 32. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Verse 33. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant that I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What's, what's this showing us about forgiveness? Well, it says that if you are struggling to forgive others, it's true that you've forgotten how much God has forgiven you in Jesus Christ. Let me say that a different way. If you're struggling this morning with unforgiveness, one person in particular, and you're holding on to it, the solution is not to try harder to forgive. It's not the solution to take that wrong and try to excuse it or minimize it, to try to find some way to let the other person off the hook. Instead, the way forward is for you to look closely in the mirror. Go back to yourself. Go back to your own sin and your own offense. Look at yourself starkly and honestly and remember the forgiveness that's yours in Jesus Christ. You start there. Each and every one of us is like this servant who goes to the master and we owe him 10 bazillion dollars. And we plead with the master that he would forgive us and he forgives us. How unseemly and repugnant would it then be if we went to other people who owed us a nickel and said, you pay up, sucker. Well, that would expose the fact that we didn't really get how deeply forgiven we were by our master. And the master would be within his right then to say, oh yeah, that forgiveness that I extended to you, I've seen what a little prig you are. I'm rescinding it. You're not getting forgiven. That's how it works. The problem is that so many of us live under this delusion that we're okay. Or we're better than average. But scripture tells us that each and every one of us at some point have been an object of God's wrath. The debt that we owe him was unpayable by us. Now, some people say, well, God hates the sinner and uh, hates the sin and loves the sinner, right? You probably heard that. And I, I get what's behind that, right? Like you want to love people, but that's not actually what scripture says. There's no such thing as disembodied sin. Sin doesn't just exist in the ether. Sin exists as I sin, as I, I am a sinner. And so scripture says, R.D. was an object of God's wrath. He owed a debt to the master that he could never pay because of his sin. A debt so great that the master's very own son had to die to pay that bill. That was the price demanded for my forgiveness to my master, for my reconciliation back to him. And you know, that's the nature of forgiveness and reconciliation. There's always a cost. There's always a price tag associated. You can't just make it go away when there's been a wrong done. Someone needs to pay. 
want you to imagine that this afternoon or this evening, Grant and Barb invite us all over to their house. And as we're at Grant and Barb's house, um, Reuben and I are talking, and Reuben is getting animated and telling me the story about his last day at the gym, and he takes his glass of red wine, and he goes like this, and he dumps red wine all over Barb's carpet. An offense has occurred, and a price has to be paid. Barb can either say to Reuben, Reuben, you need to pay to clean my carpets. Or, Barb can forgive him. And in forgiving him, she's going to say, that price still has to be paid, but Reuben, I'm not going to demand it from you. I'm going to pay it from my own pocket. I'm going to pay it for you. You are forgiven. You're off the hook. You can't just say, oh, it doesn't matter. It's like, the, the stain is there. A price has to be paid. Well, that's not only true of things like red wine and carpet, it's true in relationships. If someone has truly and deeply offended you, there is an emotional price tag that has to be paid. And when you forgive that other person, you are looking at them and you are saying, every time that that hurts, I'm not going to demand a pound of flesh from you. I'm going to pay it in my own flesh, in my own emotions for you. And friends, that's what God has done for you in Christ. Your sin and your offense demands a price that you could never pay. Death, wrath, and hell for all of eternity. Yet, God in Christ said on the cross, I'm not going to demand that from you. I will pay it in your place. This price that forgiveness demands. God says, in me, not from you. And so if that's true, how could you possibly go on demanding that others pay you? How could you hold your sins over other people, hold other people's sins over their head when your sins have been paid for by another? Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so we pray, Matthew 6, verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. For, verse 14, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Friends, it's time for us to do some hard work today. Hard work with yourself, with your own soul, and with God. Survey your own heart. Take an inventory. Who have you not forgiven? Have you forgotten how greatly you've been forgiven in Jesus? Or have you never known? Let's pray. Lord, we are quick to compile lists of people who've done wrong to us, done wrong by us. 
We hold on to those grudges as though it's something virtuous or good. But your word teaches us that the wrath of man does not produce the justice of God. Lord, would you bring us back to the cross? Remind us of how great is our salvation, at what great cost, so that we too could forgive others and live freely and lightly as our Lord and Savior has commanded us. We pray all this in your name. Amen.